right, all right, awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Romans chapter 5 is where we will be uh, this morning. Um, First and foremost, I want to say happy 4th weekend. Uh, As we celebrated yesterday, the 4th of July, and I hope that you and uh, your family had a great time together. I hope you uh, enjoyed outside. I hope you enjoyed just the presence of loved ones in a safe uh, manner. But man, we are so grateful that we live in a country where we can gather uh, and we are free to worship um, and pursue Jesus the way that he would want us to worship and pursue him. And so, man, I'm just so thankful for the men and women that have fought to make that uh, freedom a possibility. And so, uh, man, again, happy 4th of July. I just, uh, I know for me, it's just always a great time to be with family and friends and um, just just love this time of year as summer uh, is upon us. Um, and so um, with that being said, we're, uh, we're going to continue in uh, this series entitled What in the World? This is week two of that series. Um, and who would have thought in the middle of this series, we would literally be saying, what in the world? as we've had the opportunity to come back together now for uh, about four weeks, only to have to push pause for uh, another season, another moment as we try to figure out and uh, navigate through these murky waters that we are currently living in. And so uh, again, what in the world, the whole premise and thought birthed out of this series is just the current state that we're in, the current world that we are living in. I mean, like, my goodness, what is going on? What is happening in our world in our culture, everything that's just uh, unfolding before our eyes, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse. It just seems to be being uh, more difficult and more crazy. And so my hope in this series is that you have a firm foundation to stand upon, that, that when you look at this world and you make that statement or make that comment, what in the world, uh, you have a place that you can go back to, a foundation that you can build upon, uh, a place that you can go uh, where you have a deeper understanding of what's really happening in our world, something that goes deeper than just surface level. And I always want us to have a place as the men and women of God that we can always go back to to get right perspective that we can go back to to have a right understanding of who God is and and what he's doing even behind the scenes in the present moment and so that's the heartbeat behind uh, what we're looking at as we look at what in the world so last week to recap and get everybody caught up real fast uh, we were in Romans 323 uh, is where we started at and we just looked at the reality that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that there's not one of us that's exempt from that. There's not one of us that, uh, that, that gets away with anything. But that everyone, there, there, is, there is level ground for all of us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we moved into this reality that sin wasn't just something that we accidentally stumbled upon. But rather it is something that is innate in all of us. So so every single one of us, and we're going to look even deeper at that this morning, but every single one of us, just by being born, we are born sinful. Uh, We are born rebellious. We are born wicked at the core. And so we're going to jump deeper into that this morning, but that's kind of uh, where we were at a little bit last week and touched on, and then we went to Ephesians chapter 2 and looked at verses 1 through 3. And just talked about how Paul addresses the Ephesians regarding their sin, And and the thing that I love about that, the thing, the verbiage that Paul uses there in Ephesians chapter 2 is that he speaks to them in the past tense form. So everything that he says is in past tense, something that happened back there because he's addressing believers there in Ephesus. 
And I believe it's something that we can look at today, something that we can relate to today, is the fact that he would address us the same way. Those of us who have been born again, those of us who have entered into relationship with Jesus, and so he uses words like this as he talks to the Ephesians. He says, you were dead in verse 1. He says in verse 2 that you once walked Uh, He also says in verse 3 that you once lived. So he addresses them in the past tense. This is how it used to be. But now as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't have to be that way. That was the tense or the, the way that you were, but not now. And so we looked at the fact that we were all once dead. Every single one of us in our sin, we followed the natural desires and longings of our heart and our mind that is in opposition of God. So we dove in and we looked at that and we even looked for a few minutes at at Satan and his role in all of this and how he's fallen and how he is uh, behind the scenes. If we could pull back the curtain for a moment, there is this spiritual warfare going on. There's this world that's that's happening around us, this, this, this state around us where Satan is actively moving and doing. And we talked about how he wants to destroy believers. He wants to uh, do away with, he wants to cause us to, uh, to stumble and to fall and defame the name of God. How he wants us to, to, to be against anything that is good and right and holy. And we just talked about for a moment the role that he plays in our world. And, and then I close by saying this, that we know the extent of the origin and nature and consequences when we know that. All of that in regards to sin, it helps us make sense of our history and the current state of our world. Man, when we pull back the curtain and we understand and we see really what's at play, really what's happening behind the scenes, it allows us to be able to uh, assess better, to, to be able to land at a place where we can be on that firm foundation And and as a result of that, my hope and my prayer last week was this, is that God would stir in your heart and cause you to be all the more dependent upon him. Cause you all the more to see your great need for him and cause you to run to him. I mean, he's a good father that even in that condition, even in that state of our lostness, he still beckons and calls us to come to him. He still points out our great need for him. I mean, what kind of a dad does that? He, he wants us. He longs for relationship with us. And so this, when we look at it through those lenses, it allows us to answer that question. And it allows us to land at a place that is good and right as it pertains to what in the world is going on in our, in our country and in our world. So I'm going to ask you this morning if you join me as we pray and then we'll jump in here in a moment to our uh, main text in the book of Romans chapter 5. But Father, we, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Father, uh, I just pray, God, that you move and speak in a mighty, mighty way this morning through the proclamation of your word. Father, as, as we gather in an empty auditorium, as I gather in an empty auditorium and men and women log on and watch online, Father, I pray somehow, some way, God, that your sovereignty in this moment would rule and reign in a mighty way. And God, my prayer is that your gospel is proclaimed more now than it ever has been. God, God, that people would hear this morning the truth of the current state of our world. And and Father, in them hearing and in them seeing from your word, God, that it would stir in them a greater affection and desire for you, those that are saved. And God, just maybe someone that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, maybe this morning your Holy Spirit would ignite in them this curiosity, God, as you draw them to yourself and that you would save, save the lost. So, Father, may this not fall on deaf ears. God, may hearts hear what you have to say. 
And God, may you move in a mighty way. And all of this, God, is for your glory and for your honor. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So what in the world? What in the world is the title of this series? Where did all of this sin and depravity come from? And so maybe depravity is not a word that you're familiar with. Maybe depravity is not a word that that you rightfully use over and over and over. So I just want to define for you for just a moment what depravity is. So when I use that word as it pertains to fallen man, it just means this. It means that people are as a result of the fall, not inclined or even able to love God wholly with um, their hearts, with their mind, and with their strength, but rather they are inclined by nature to serve their own will, to serve their own desires, and to reject his rule. And that's the state of fallen man. They're depraved. They're they're fallen. They're sinful. And so my question is, where did all this originate? How did all of this come to be? How did we get to this place? Why are we here in this realm today? And so from the scriptures, we see God finish creating man and woman in his own image. And this is what he says in Genesis 1, 31. He sees everything that he had made. And he says something that's very interesting. He says, behold, it is very good. See, see up to this point, God, the triune God, he's creating, he is making creation, everything that you see, everything that you know. And as he does, and as he finishes, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man, creates woman. And he makes that comment, it is was very good. So, so what we can learn from this scripture is that when God made man, he made him good. He did not create a depraved, fallen man. No, no, the point of Genesis 2 is that God provided for man everything that he needed to make his life rich and to make his life happy, but something along the way happens. God did not uh, create them this way. He created them good. He was generous to his creatures. He wasn't begrudging. He was loving and gracious and good. So how did man become depraved and how did this world become so, so miserable? So the story continues, Genesis 3. And in a moment, there's this catastrophic disobedience. And you have Adam and Eve, and what do they do? They eat of the tree. They eat of the tree that was forbidden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so in that moment, as they partake and they eat of what God told them not to, their innocence vanishes. Their eyes are open and they knew they were naked. And in this state of knowing that they're naked, it's not just talking about the physical appearance. It's, it's talking about uh, something much deeper than that. It's not just a clothes issue. It's, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a, it's a being known issue. And then to make this plain and horrific event even worse or even more hopeless as it would appear. There's no exposition of doctrine. There's no diving in deeper. There's no more of that. He just simply continues with the terrible, horrific story. As we see the first lovers now start to blame each other, Genesis 3, 12. And then you have the curse of God falling upon them. And then their first children, uh, uh, he's a murderer and he's a fugitive, Genesis chapter 4. And then you have the arrogant vengeance of Lamech in Genesis 4, 23. And then you have the role of their descendants begin to die and death has entered in. And then you see the increase of wickedness everywhere until finally flood dooms the world. Fallen man, the sinfulness of man has gotten so rampant and horrific and they turn their eyes and their hearts off of God that what does God do? He wipes them out. Starts over with another family, Noah. 
And then you have this presumption of people that begin to build a tower to heaven to, to make a name for themselves. We'll, we'll get to God. We'll show God. And what does he do? He knocks it down and he disperses them all over the world. And so what I want to do this morning is this, is I want to look at greater detail of the origin of what in the world happened. I, I want to look further in at, at the beginning of this, of, of what took place, what happened, what really took place in Adam, what, what that means for us, how that affects us, how that follows out what we are going through and what we are living in even to this day because there are consequences to actions, people Church, there are consequences to actions. Whether it's a good action, whether it's a bad action, there's going to be consequences that follow. And so I want to look at that, the origin of what in the world happened. And this is what Paul gives us. He gives us this divinely inspired exposition of what happens here in Romans 5, starting in verse 12. If you'll follow along. Paul says this, he says, Therefore, just as sin, sin is that rebellion, sin is that missing the mark, sin is that going against God. It's not just like a, a little oops, I messed up, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an archery term. It's me going after, shooting at a target that's not even in line or even close to, but in the opposite direction of God. And that's what we see, therefore, just as sin, that, that rebellion came into the world through one man. One man. And so what Paul does is he's going to identify Adam as the representative of humanity whose actions affected all humanity. And his actions, what it does is it brings mortality and death to all. Death had never been known until Adam sins and rebels. And so what we're going to see here is Paul's going to unwind and Paul's going to uh, show us all the more. And he is the only biblical writer to use Adam to explain the origin of death and sin. The only one. So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death, death refers to that loss of immortality... And so my question is, how does this happen? Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. There it is. So death happens because sin enters the world. Romans 6.23 tells us that. It says, for the wages, wages is that earning the just and deserved payment. Here's the just and deserved payment for something. For the wages of sin, that rebellion, that missing the mark, the standard that God has set. For the wages of sin is what? Death. And so what we know from the story in Genesis is that Adam didn't die immediately when he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But rather what happens is his, soon, his sin introduces mortality, which brings about a physical and spiritual death. See, I think the thing that's so horrific about death is simply this, is that death is separation. Death is separation, and separation is awful. And so what we see for the first time in Scripture as death enters in, there's, there's a separation. And God tells Adam that there's going to be physical death, but I don't believe that that's quite as horrific as what really takes place even deeper in this moment. Because what we're going to learn from the story is that there's also spiritual death. So death brings about separation, and, and death can be permanent. And, and that's what's so horrific. Separation in the permanence of death and so let's look first at this physical death because see the, the first death that takes place is this physical death that's going to happen that, that that we're promised as a result of sin and this death is a separation of the soul from the body I mean death is separation of the soul from the body that's what takes place that's what happens that's the wage that's earned because of sin that's what's rightfully due to us. The thing that's going to be paid to us because of our sin and rebellion is that the separation of the soul from the body. 
That's like this week, I uh, was made aware of another church that I used to serve in. That a sweet, sweet, sweet man had passed away as a result of this horrific, awful virus that we are in the midst of. I mean, just a sweet, loving, godly man in a family that is left to pick up the pieces. Some grandparent, some, uh, he, he was a grandparent, he was a father. And so he contracts the virus and he ends up passing away. And then just before I came out this morning, as I was just scrolling for a moment and looking, uh, because I had heard that his sweet, sweet wife had contracted the virus as well, I read this morning to find out that she too has passed away. And so her soul has been separated from this physical body. And that's awful. Death is horrific. Death is a villain and death is who we fight. And all of that is a consequence and a result of sin. That's what we see happen. That's what we see God tell Adam, which is imputed to us today. And then the second aspect of death is spiritual death, which I believe physical is horrible, but this carries even a far greater significance because spiritual death is a separation of the soul from God. See, when God creates and God makes Adam and Eve, they're, they're there and they're in fellowship and they're in perfect harmony and unity with God. And then sin fractures that. Sin relationally fractures this perfect bond and union with their creator. And so spiritual death is that. It's the separation of the soul from God. See, see one who physically dies in this state will experience this separation from God for all eternity. In church, that's what should drive us. Is our heart and our desire should be for no one to die in that state. For us to feel the true weight and meaning of what's happening in our world. For us to feel the true weight and meaning of what the scriptures teach, of what we see God uh, say through his word, what we see Paul here inspired by the Holy Spirit pen. It should break our heart and cause us all the more to run with the gospel. Because death is horrific. Spiritual death, physical death. And so the story goes on in Romans 12. Therefore, just as sin came uh, into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Spread just simply means this, that it's, that it's been imputed, that it's been transmitted. And so Adam's death, what this is teaching and telling us is that his death was transmitted to all humanity. All people need salvation. That's it. Everybody needs to believe and find the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross and walk into that and believe into that and enter into that through relationship with Christ. Because all have sinned, every single one. It's spread and been imputed to all of us. And we need a savior. We need someone to redeem us. And so he goes on in verse 13. He says this, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. See, the thing we've got to understand is this, is that the law did not introduce sin into the world. That's not the case. Rather, it identified the sin that Adam had already introduced. Sin is introduced through Adam, and what the law does is it just points out the reality of what's taking place and what's happening. That's what the law does. It makes us aware of what's already there. And as we're talking about the law, as we're thinking about the law, we need to understand something, that the law was never meant to save us. It wasn't given to save us. 
It was rather given to point out and to show us that we needed to be saved. To show us that we can't keep the law. To show us that we are in desperate, desperate need of a rescuer. I mean, I just think of the story in Scripture, the rich young ruler. You know that story, right? This, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and what does he say? He says, keep the law. And this brazen man looks at Jesus. I can just imagine this moment as, as, he, as he looks at Jesus and, and I can just imagine the confidence that he has. Man, clueless. So Jesus, I've done that. Jesus knowing good and well that the man can't do it because no one, no one can keep the law. You break one aspect of the law, you're guilty of all of it. It's what scripture teaches. And Jesus knew that it was physically impossible. Hear me, church. It's physically impossible to keep the law. You can't do it. You can't do it. There's only been one and his name is Jesus and we're not him. So this rich young ruler looks at Jesus and says, I've done that. And then Jesus sees through and he sees what really has this man's heart. And he says, well, then this is what I need you to do. I need you to go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then come follow me. See, what Jesus sees in that moment is what's really got his heart. Jesus sees in that moment who his God truly, truly is. And what does he do? He goes after that spot. And if you know the story, it continues to say this, that the young man walks away disappointed that day. See, the law wasn't there to save him. That's not what Jesus was teaching. The law was there to point out that you need saved, that you can't keep it. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. Verse 14 says this. It says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And so this sets a pattern for the one who is to come, and it's going to be Jesus. It's setting a pattern for the one coming after us, and it's Christ. It's the cross. That's what he's pointing back to. This refers to Adam's role as a representative of humanity. It's just pointing out that we are like Adam. We are Adams is what we are. And so what we're going to see take place from here is Paul is going to compare Adam's sin to God's gift. He's going to compare the fall of Adam to the goodness and grace of God through Jesus on the cross. And so what we're going to see is the weight and splendor of God's gift that will reverse the devastating effects of Adam's sin. Our rescuer and our redeemer. And he goes on, he says this in verse 15, he says, but the free gift, that's the work of Christ on the cross, his sacrificial death, the free gift, it's not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, Sin is another word you can use there interchangeably. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. So you see, Adam and Christ, they serve as representative heads over two groups of people. You've got Adams and you've got Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that Adam's trespass, Adam's sin brought death to all who belong to him. But in contrast, those who belong to Christ receive this free gift of forgiveness and restoration of faith in Jesus Christ. So as much as our sin is imputed to us when we're born, born of the seed of man, and as we walk in and we believe in the free gift of redemption and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, it is imputed to us to the point that it covers and makes us something that we can never be. 
That's what he's outlining. That's what he's pointing out. As he goes on in verse 16, it says this, And the free gift is not like the result of the one of man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And what he's saying is with Adam, you get sin, you get condemnation, you get death. That's what you get with Adam. But with Jesus, you get forgiveness, you get justification. That's us being declared righteous. That's us being covered in the blood of the Lamb, made holy, spotless, and perfect. And we have that right relationship restored with God our Father, with the Creator. That's what we get through Jesus. He says in verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, his sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is this, is that Jesus is greater than Adam. Church, that's good news for us this morning, that that Jesus is greater than Adam. So what that should do and what that should stir in us this morning is this reality. I don't care how broken and beat up and nasty and wore out and wicked and fallen and how many times you blow it and mess up. What that tells us is this, is that Jesus is greater than that. And then you have hope. You have hope this morning. And it's only found in Christ because Jesus is greater and better than all your sin, than all your struggles, than all your failures, than all your hang-ups, and then all you, you name it. Jesus is so much greater, so much better. And for those of us who are found in him by faith, this is what I love, and this is what we miss when we talk about justification and being declared righteous. What we miss is this, is that when God looks at his sons or his daughters, what he sees is not messed up Scott, not broken Scott, not Scott that struggles and flops around and, and, and tries so hard only to mess up over and over and over again. But what God sees when he looks at his son Scott or his daughter in him, what he finds and what he sees is this, is his beloved son. Because we have been covered by him. But what he's accomplished and what he has done on the cross. That's what God sees in us and that's what Paul is alluding to here. That's what Paul is telling us. And so what we're going to see is Paul begin to wrap up his thought on the origin of sin, where it came from, where it started. And he says this in verse 18. He says, therefore, as a result of all that he has just previously said about, about Adam, about sin, about the law, about Jesus... He's going to give us the final blow and the final uh, push behind everything that he's saying. Therefore, as one trespasses, one sin led to condemnation for all men. So, So as a result of Adam's sin, we're all deemed guilty. Every single one of us. I don't care how nice you think you are in your sin and your lostness. I don't care how good you think you are in your sin and your lostness. I don't care how much uh, voluntary work you do. I don't care how many times you cut grass for someone and don't charge them anything. I don't care how uh, nice and sweet you think you are in your sin and in your lostness. At the end of the day, if you're lost, you're deserving of God's judgment and wrath. And so what Paul says is the one trespass led to condemnation. We're all condemned apart from Christ. As the one sin led to condemnation for all men, every single one of us, man, woman, boy, girl, we're all deemed guilty. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Thank God. As our father Adam blows it, 
Man, our daddy, Jesus, makes right what we could never make right. And though that sin is imputed to all of us, when we walk in faith and believe in Christ and enter into a relationship with him, we are deemed righteous and holy in the eyes of God. So as sin enters through one man, salvation enters through Christ. And so we are made right because of Jesus. Don't you ever forget that. We are made right because of Jesus' sacrifice, not because of anything that we've ever done. Nothing that we've done. But because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. It's just funny how God sets things up, how God does things. And so uh, this week I was uh, in a gas station and as I was in the gas station, I was getting me a drink. And as I was there getting me a drink, this, this lady walks over and she's doing some stuff. This attendant that works there and she sees my shirt. I have, I have my, um, excuse me, my new life shirt on as I'm there. She's like, oh, I know that church. And I look at her and I, I don't recognize her. I've never seen her before. I said, really? I said, well, how do you know this church? And she's like, well, well, I've got some family members that have visited there before. Well, my boyfriend does. I said, okay, cool. Awesome. And so we begin to have conversation and things like that. And I, I go up to check out and, and she, she walks with me the whole way. We're engaged in conversation and I find out who it is that, that she knows. And we just talk about them a little bit and talk about our church. And, and so, so, so I'm like, like this, this is perfect for me. I mean, this is like the high fastball that I'm about to knock over the fence. I mean, she has set this thing up perfect. I'm, we're engaged. She's locked in. She already knows church. I've got the shirt on. And so then I go, I go for the jugular. I says, so, so do you go to church anywhere? He's ah, no, not, not, not right now, no. He's like, I'm working a lot. I'm like, ah. Oh. He's like, yeah. So we should come visit sometime. You should come see us. She's like, yeah, if, if I don't have to work, I'd love to. And we just have this conversation. She's like, now I grew up, she's like, I grew up in a more fundamental independent type setting that's real law driven. And I said, ah. Oh. I said, I said, I get that. I said, that, that's my background, a lot of where, where I've came from and, and my upbringing and things like that. And, um, and, I, and I said, well, the great news of the gospel is this, is that Jesus isn't about a rules to follow, but he's about a relationship to be had and walk in. I said, that's the heartbeat of our church. That's the heartbeat of who we are is about a relationship with the risen Savior, not a bunch of rules that's going to dictate what you do, what you don't do. Now, now hear me, there's a standard we live by. There's an expectation of holiness that we walk in. But we're about relationship. And what I've learned is this, it's not so much about us trying to get you to behave right up front. We want to get a hold of your heart to begin with. And as we get a hold of your heart, what happens is your actions follow suit. I mean, the more I surrender my life to Christ, the more I'm going to look like him and walk in him. And yes, I'm going to live out the law. Well, because he's living in me. Jesus is the law, man. He, he is all of that. He fulfilled all of that. He became all of that for us. So the closer I get to him, the more I'm transformed into his image, the more I'm going to walk that out and follow that out. I says, but for us and where we're at, it's about a relationship. And as you walk in that relationship, God's going to get a hold of your heart. And it just kills me that the church is so known for the don't, 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 don't. And we never tell you about the do's. And, and the only do we have here is, is Jesus. Do Jesus. Walk in Jesus. Walk in Christ. I mean, get to know him. Grow in relationship with him. We're not, we're not going to ask you to give up one thing because what I've learned is simply this, is the closer you get to Christ and if you really belong to him, Man, you're going to want to give that up. You're going to want to live in a way that's going to point people to Christ at all costs. You're going to live in a way that glorifies him. You're going to live in a way that's going to point people to Jesus all the more. So, so whatever the hang up, whatever the struggle is, man, you, you find Jesus and you walk in that and he'll let you know what you need to do to pursue him in holiness. 
He'll let you know the actions and the steps that you need to take to be more godly. We don't have to do that. We're going to preach his word and we're going to proclaim his word, but we're going to ask you to walk in that and we're going to come alongside. And so, I mean, I just had a great, great conversation this week with somebody that was stuck in that system. And we want to be in a system that's about following and pursuing Jesus at all costs. And in that, he'll change and he'll transform. And we'll look to his word and we'll allow his word to, to navigate us through that. What we should say, what we shouldn't say, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And so Paul goes on in verse 19. He says this, for as by one man disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many are made righteous. And so it's just a reference to Christ and him being obedient to death. Death on a cross. And so it's because of the one that all are sinners, but it's by the one, it's by the one's obedience that all have become sons and daughters. Church, you hear that this morning? Because of the one's sinner and disobedience, it's because of his that the one comes and he makes a way possible through the cross. And it's by his obedience that we can become sons and daughters. That's the good news of the gospel. In Paul, verse 20 says, it says now that the law came in to increase the trespass by where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. I mean, do you hear it? Listen to that one more time. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, to increase the sin. But where sin increased, where sin was pointed out, where sin was made known, where sin was shown, grace abounded all the more. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, just think about our world and our culture and where we're at. As, as sin increases, and we see that, it's increasing and it's increasing and it's increasing. It's getting worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker. What does the scriptures teach? And where that happens, grace abounds all the more. Grace abounds all the more. So what does that mean for us? It, it was funny, I was having a conversation with a buddy this week and as, as we're talking and we're just kind of getting into this conversation, he's like, when does the church say enough's enough? And we begin to think and I begin to think and I didn't know how to answer the question at first and just this morning as I was looking and praying and studying and, and reading and I just, just looked at this verse, it just hit me. Now, we should have said enough's enough back at the fall. Back when the church in, in Acts was birthed. Enough's enough now. But I don't know if we realize and understand how, how we say enough is enough. And I don't know if it's us out there protesting. I don't know if that does it. I don't know if it's us getting banners. I don't know if it's us throwing Bibles at people. I, don't, I just don't believe that works well. What I believe for us that this verse teaches, that this verse says when we say enough is enough, is that we live this out. Where the sin increases, where the trespass increases, grace abounds all the more. So just maybe what it would look like for us is what it looked like for Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He loved people. He walked with people. He tells them the truth about sin. That's what Jesus always does. Is he makes known the truth about sin. So what if instead of us throwing rocks at, what if instead of us uh, uh, being labeled as, as judges, instead of us being difficult and hard to work with, and, and us, or even being silent, instead of all of that, what if, what if we decided to love our neighbors and walk with and start with the gospel there? And then what if it spread it in our community? And then what if instead of going and, and, and condemning people, what if we went and what if we served people? 
So if there's this thing coming along, what if we go and we take bottles of water and we say, man, we just love you. We just want to pray for you. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And knowing good and well what they're there for, but, but all the while what we want to do is we want to drum up relationship and we want to do what this verse says and we want to let grace abound. We want to take the love of Christ. And I'm even hesitant to say that in the realm of this is that, 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 that our definition of love in this culture, in this world today is, is so uh, fairy, tinkle, dust, whatever. That ain't make sense. It's so wishy-washy and deluded and wrong because love doesn't just turn, turn away from. No, love engages. So when people are wrong, we love them enough to tell them. We care for them enough. That, that's grace and mercy. I, I mean, think about it for a moment. Jesus, when you were wrong in your sin, what did he do? He called you on it. You, you wouldn't be saved if he didn't call you on it. Jesus calls you on your sin, on your wickedness, on your trespass. He calls you on it. And so I think that's, what we, that's where grace abounds. And there's a right, good way to do that. I don't think we need to go throwing Bibles at people and get a megaphone and stand on the corner and scream at them about how much God hates them. Because I think that's false and wrong. I think we take the grace and love and mercy of Jesus and we do it like he did and we engage culture, we engage our world, we get involved in. The church has been silent for too long. And it's because we're sitting in our seats doing nothing instead of engaging our neighbors, instead of engaging the next generation coming up, instead of going after the heart of people like Christ did. That's what we do, church. The law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so the law was never an end unto itself. Its whole function was to show the trespass by bringing the knowledge of sin. And church, that's what we've got to do. We call sin, sin. And then we engage in relationship and we walk with. And so in this, the need for grace is highlighted. It's allowing God to give it all the more. And we get to be light bearers of that. We get to be images of Jesus in that. Verse 21 says this, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What this says is this, is that sin originated in Adam, but God made a way through Jesus for us to be made right and to be made whole. So, so the origin of sin is the band comes back up and they're just going to lead us in a moment of just response and reflection and worship. What, what this is saying is this, because of Adam, sin enters the world, because of that disobedience and that act moving away from God to self. It ruins it for all of us. It causes every single one of us to be born into sin. But God didn't stop there. The story continues as horrific as it got. I mean, there's a redeemer, there's a hero, there is one that can make right what has been made wrong. There's one that can put back together and fix everything that's been fractured. And it's Jesus Christ in the cross. So the reality of sin and misery in this world is owed to the fall of our first parents into disobedience. So when we look at the current state of our world, when we look at what's going on in the chaos, in the midst of all the calamity and everything that's happening, and we ask, what in the world? We can always come back to this place. We can always come back to this place. Our world is like it is because of the rebellion and the disobedience of one. 
I've, I've got two little kids, and with my two little kids, I, I try to teach them. One's eight, one's four, and I, I try to always teach them. And really just anybody, as, as a student pastor, anybody that I've been around, there's always consequences to your actions. So when you do something, it's like throwing a rock in a pond. What happens, it, it go, the rock goes in and goes under, but then what, there's these ripples that come out from the rock. And what we see is the same thing's true in our life. And there's consequences to actions. God told Adam not to do something. But he didn't listen, did he? And I love how we like to throw rocks at Adam, but, but we're no different, are we? We're, we're, we're no different. We're, we're, the, we're in the same boat. We rebel and we sin. We don't listen to what God has told us. And then we wonder why things are the way that they are. I mean, I just think of the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. I wonder what today would look like if the church would have been obedient to that. And, and you know what? Maybe she started out good. Maybe she started out in a blaze of glory. But somewhere along the way, she's taking her eyes off of it. I wonder what the world would be like if we'd have just listened to Jesus and we'd tell people about the, the good news of the gospel. See, I'm just a firm believer that we can educate, educate, educate all we want. We can have program after program after program all we want. But the only thing that's going to change anything about our current state and our current world is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's by him grabbing a hold of the heart and transforming and shaping and bringing alive what's dead and molding it into the image of his son. When that happens, man, life change happens. And actions are changed. Not behavior modification, but the true DNA of who the person is starts to resemble that of Jesus Christ. Then, church, we'll be changing this world. So as we look at our current state and our current world, and we ask that question, what in the world? It's because of Adam's sin, and it's because of our sin. And what I've learned, and what I've taken from the scriptures, and what I've seen in my own life is this, is that God doesn't ever take sin lightly. Ever. I mean, it may seem like he's sitting by idly. It may seem like in this moment that he may be confused or not know what to do. Or it may seem like in this moment, does he even give a rip? Does he even care? But church, hear me. God cares more than you ever will. More than I ever will. And what we can learn and what we can see from his word is that there's coming a day where he says enough's enough. Maybe that day's today. Maybe that day's down the road. And so what we have to do as the church is love people enough to tell them. Love people enough to walk with them. Love people enough to engage them. Love people enough to share that grace and that mercy that God has bestowed upon us. That's what we have to do. Because as a result of sin, we get the world that we've got today. But hear me, God's grace and mercy is even greater. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So this morning, man, my prayer for you is this, is that God presses on your heart your great need for him. If you don't know him as Savior, he'll awaken you to that reality. If you are his, then I beg of him to reveal maybe sin in your life where, where, where he graciously calls you to himself all the more and he reveals that and, and, and you repent, you run to the Savior as, as, as daddy and you beg him to break your heart over your sin and, and you allow him to do the redemptive work of, of making you more and more like his son. And I just pray whatever God has done in your heart this morning in result of his proclaimed word, press into him, trust him, move toward him 
all the more. And if you're lost, may you find salvation for your soul because it's horrific to experience that separation of spiritual death. And so if God has made you aware of that this morning, I just believe that's the effectual call of the Holy Spirit drawing you and wooing you all the more to himself. And if that's the case, man, I beg of you to move one step closer to him in faith. Oh, that you'd enter into a relationship with him. And, and I want to say this, I know we're not gathered here this morning in this place, but if that's the case, man, may, may, may you just believe in Jesus Christ this morning. And you reach out to us, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk with you all the more about what that means and what that looks like. Or if this morning God's revealed some things in you, maybe some sin issues, maybe some rebellion in you. Man, and you would love someone to pray with you. You can message us here on this Facebook page. It'll be private. Or, or you can email us or you can call here at the church. If we don't answer, leave a message. We'll get back with you. But we would count it a great honor and joy to be able to walk with you all the more as God works and moves in your life. So I don't know what God's pressed upon your heart, but man, you step out in obedience and faith to him. And I guarantee you, he will move in a mighty, mighty way in your life. And he will make right what's been wrong with the Father, period. So as, as Matt and Hannah lead us this morning, man, you respond as you see fit. If you want to sit there and think about the proclaimed word, if you want to pray, if you want to sing in your home with your family, you, you be obedient to God's call in this moment.